There are a good many ways that institutional investors are taking best advantage of this versatile market created by broad public participation. Welcome to Decrypting Crypto, Series 1, Episode 6, where we're going to talk about what an initial coin offering is. I'm Austin Knight. I'm here with my co-host, Matthew Howells-Barbie. Matt? Hey, Austin. Hey, everyone. This is a topic we've been waiting to get into. ICOs have been so hot over the past year. Everyone wants to jump on them, from companies to investors to individuals. But within this episode, what we're going to try and do is actually explain what the hell an ICO is. We're going to give you a pretty solid example of what an ICO actually looks like to bring this to life. And more importantly, we're going to compare what an ICO versus an IPO is whilst trying to limit the number of acronyms that we use throughout this entire episode. And on top of that, the final thing is probably the most contentious point is more around the scam side of things in ICOs, which is probably where blockchain technology and the crypto space is getting most of its negative press right now. So Austin, let's jump in. Like, all right, what is an ICO? Yeah, so an ICO or initial coin offering is a process that's used to raise capital in an exchange for the issuance of tokens. So say that you want to start a cryptocurrency and you need to get funds built into that so that you can get this thing running. You're going to have an ICO. You're going to initially offer those coins to the public. Investors are going to use cryptocurrency to buy tokens in an ICO. And this is very similar to buying shares in a company, but without the actual equity. Yeah, that's a key point. And let's kind of bring this to life a little bit, because I know there was a, a few bits of jargon that we've used within there that some people won't understand. But one thing I do just want to highlight here is when you invest in an ICO, you do not get shares in the business, right? Like what you get is a portion of the token or the cryptocurrency that that project uses. Let's say you invested in the Ethereum ICO, you'd buy Ether, the token that operates or the coin that operates on the Ethereum blockchain. So let's let's give a little example here of an ICO, hypothetical for now. Say me and Austin come out of this this long session of recording podcast episodes and we're like, hey, we've just come up with this awesome new idea. And it's this blockchain-based social network. Um, let's let's call it bitter. Blockchain, <laughs> Twitter. Funny joke, right? Uh, so, <laughs> so we want to launch Bitter, and we're like, all right, we're we're gonna throw out some tokens in an ICO because we don't even have a product yet. We need to build Bitter, and we need capital to do that. We're gonna build this on an existing technology like the Ethereum blockchain, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna offer out anyone the opportunity to buy 100 of our Bitter coin, let's say, for one Ether. That'll be the price. Right, so let's say if 1,000 people invested in our ICO, buying a total of 20,000 ether, that would roughly equate to if we if we just say that one ether is worth at the time 1,000 USD. Make math easy on both me and Austin right now. That would probably work out around about 20 million dollars that we would raise. That gives us a lot of capital. When I say we'd we'd raise 20 million dollars, 20 million dollars worth of ether. 
So now me and Austin are like, awesome. We have a bunch of cash that we can use to develop Bitter. And not only that, as an investor into this, if you bought some of our tokens via the ICO, as this project gets better and the individual tokens that we have, so the Bitter token or the Bitter coin, as that grows in value, the amount that you invested will grow in value. Not only that, but you can use that token on our social media platform itself. So you could do it things like, hey, you can exchange it for services or trade it with other members of our bitter social media. And this has been done a lot recently. So this is like a hypothetical example. I mean, this one interesting thing is like an ICO launched in 2017, really high profile one called Filecoin. Think about Filecoin, almost like they're trying to be the Dropbox of the blockchain, file storage. They raised $257 million worth of crypto from the, the ICO in just over one month. Unreal. <laughs> yeah, that is that is a lot. Do a lot of these projects need that much funding? I don't know. <laughs> but the, the the cool thing here that I do like, let's just let's just park the whole do they need this much money? Is this the right thing to do? If we think about this in terms of how this usually works, let's say it wasn't Bitter and it's Twitter, right? Private company, not run on the blockchain at all. And they're raising some funds to get their project up and running in the early 2000s. Now, the everyday person cannot just go and invest into Twitter and own a part of that, that business. It's accredited investors that could only potentially take part or venture capital funds. You need to have roughly a million dollars worth of net worth to be able to even qualify to be a part of this. And when we kind of go back to a more socio-political point of view, it's like the rich getting richer, the poor getting poorer. This creates less opportunities for the everyday person to benefit from the wealth of, of these kind of companies, right? Absolutely. And it's a bureaucratic process to get a company to a point where they can even allow investors to buy shares in their company. This is where we start to see the differences between an ICO and an IPO. So an ICO being an initial coin offering, that's the cryptocurrency version, and an IPO being an initial public offering. That's like the NASDAQ stock market. Your company has grown to a certain level and now you're allowing it to be publicly traded. Where the everyday person can buy stocks. Exactly. Right? That people can now buy shares in Twitter, right? Because they can go through to probably the NASDAQ that Twitter are on, and they'll go through the stock market, buy shares in Twitter, and then they own them. But a lot of the time, by the time a company has listed themselves on the stock market publicly so that anybody can buy shares, a lot of the wealth has already been created, right? Usually when a company has an IPO, all of the early investors make their millions. And then the public can like fight it out for the rest of the growth that happens after that. ICO, it's flipped on its head. So we have an initial coin offering. That's usually, that usually happens before a product is even made, which is kind of quite scary, right? But like at the same time is quite exciting because you can get in early onto projects. An initial public offering, an IPO, is always near the end of a, a much more mature stage of a company's life cycle. And that's because there are 
huge amounts of regulations and requirements in particular to file an IPO, an initial public offering. Yeah. For example, with the NASDAQ, you have to have aggregate pre-tax earnings in the prior three years of at least $11 million, in the prior two years of at least $2.2 million, and no one year in the prior three years can you have a net loss. So <laughs> health of your business, you got to have a super healthy business to, to get to the point where you can have an IPO. And the reality is that there are plenty of businesses that are perfectly healthy at a much smaller stage that would pay great dividends to the public market, but we just can't do it with the way that things are set up right now. Yeah, and then the ICO model has really come in to turn, in all honesty, the the stock market on its head and really say, hey, you know what? Everyday people want to be part of the profit-making stage of these companies. They, they want to be a part of this from an early stage, even if it's just to be part of this community. And more importantly, they want, at least on a basic level, to have access to be able to do this. Now, that comes with its risks. There's a reason why there's so much regulation for initial public offerings, and ultimately it's to try and protect everyday people, investors, and people who are investing in these companies. And I mean, when you look at the regulation side of things, any IPO investor must go through KYC laws, know your customer. So you have to have registered all your details with a stockbroker. You have to have given over personally identified information. ICOs are self-governed. And there's a reason why nearly all ICOs accept other cryptocurrencies payments. So you usually use like Ether or Bitcoin to buy in because you do not need to abide by KYC. So You're getting around that piece of the equation. Exactly. I have seen some projects that are popping up where it's like, hey, we're going to accept fiat currency to buy in. In fact, you may have heard Telegram. There's been a lot of news about Telegram, the huge messaging app, kind of like a, a WeChat competitor, is considering an ICO. And rumors are that they're only going to do it via fiat currency and they're going to abide by KYC rules just to try and fit into this regulation. That's, Interesting. But that said, like, ICOs are completely self-governed. It doesn't mean that they are completely immune to regulation, though, right? Yeah, for example, China recently banned ICOs. Yeah. And that caused a huge ripple throughout the entire community. No pun intended on ripple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's definitely the case. And we're seeing more and more news stories pop up around like huge regulation happening within ICOs because in all honesty, like governments are scared to death of this. And I do empathize there. I, I am of the camp that whilst I don't love over-regulation, I think that ICOs put a lot of people at risk because we'll come into this. It is easy to put this in a way that you can create scams a lot easier. And this, I, I personally feel like a lot of ICOs really hurt the progression of the cryptocurrency space and the blockchain movement as a whole. And undoubtedly the perception as well. Oh, 100%. It's like nine times out of 10, whenever people will say to me who maybe aren't as involved in crypto or just getting to grips with it, one of the stories they've read that scared them has been about an ICO that's went wrong, right? And there are plenty of examples of that. The one thing that we also talked about is like the stage here is very different in which you'll invest into an ICO. And that's what creates a pretty large amount of the risk. You, you're making a very long bet on something yeah. happening. Of course. So while it's nice that ICOs allow the average person to get in earlier, 
they're also assuming the same level of risk. In fact, I would argue more risk than an angel investor or a venture capitalist would make when they're investing in a very early stage company. There's a reason, again, why some of those regulations exist and why you have to go through a bunch of a vetting process to be able to operate as a VC or, or as an angel investor. It's because we want to make sure that you actually know what you're doing when you invest your money. Whereas an ICO doesn't require that you know anything yeah. <laughs> uh, except for, for how to give the organization your money. So you, you end up assuming a ton of risk when you're dealing with an ICO, not only because it is very, very early and so nobody really fully knows what's going to happen with the currency or with the project, but also because you are not backed by an entire organization like an angel investor or a VC would be. Absolutely. And it, and it becomes very difficult then when you think about it from a legal standpoint, right? Like if, if you have invested as an angel investor and you have been lied to by the business to try and get you to invest in their company, but they've, they've made some claims that aren't true, there are legal grounds that you could go and maybe sue that business. Yeah, it's a lot different and more difficult on an ICO level. Even just proving, like, even you just think about this, right? Here's challenge number one, proving that you even invested in it, right? Because you've done this via spending cryptocurrency that, yeah, okay, we can see your public address, but how can we prove that you own that public address, that you sent that Ether or Bitcoin to it is to, anonymous exactly so this is where it becomes a bit more difficult from a legal point of view the the other interesting thing here from an IPO point of view usually an IPO is the first liquidity event that happens for a business and what I mean by that is like really that's the first point in which the assets of that business actually become liquid, be able to have a true value that can be utilized, whether it's through trade on the stock market, through selling in an acquisition point of view, so all, all kinds of these things. But then an ICO <laughs> is like, it, as soon as those tokens are issued, it's immediately a liquid business. You can sell and trade the tokens in that economy way before a product has even existed. I mean, most of the projects that a lot of people hail as being the potential game changers for the world still haven't are in like their beta release yeah. and they're being traded at such a huge price so the way that you can think of this is if you've ever been on kickstarter.com you can invest very early as an individual in a kickstarter project and they will make big promises some of them will actually happen others a lot a lot of others will never there will never even be a working prototype so there's a high level of risk. There's a lot of research that you have to do on your own, unaided, before you can make a smart decision with something like this. For sure. And I think the final thing is like what you actually own, right? Like if we just think about an IPO, you buy shares, you have equity in the company. You own, you actually own a part of that company. You buy shares in Twitter, you own a part of Twitter. You are a core part of it. In an ICO, you don't own a part of the company, that is, even if there is technically a company, could be like decentralized, like Bitcoin, for example, you actually just own some of the coins. You don't need to go through an ICO always to get these coins. You could buy them on an exchange when they eventually get listed there. But the idea is that getting in on an ICO, getting in early, you get them at a cheaper price. That's the idea, at least. 
And then you also get access to the services that those tokens can be used for. Having a token or, or a coin, we, we use that word interchange quite a bit. It's a very, very similar thing. The whole focus of it is to be used for a specific utility, and that gives you access to it. So just to, just to kind of like summarize on the ICO versus IPO, there are probably like four key areas, I would say, one is the requirements stage. And with an ICO, there's pretty much no requirements required. For an <laughs> IPO, you've got lots, including like minimum yearly earnings, total market cap, and many, many more aspects that vary from each of the different stock markets that you will, you will list on. And while we can criticize them and talk about decentralization, they do in a lot of ways serve a purpose. Absolutely. Another interesting thing there when we talk about stock exchanges here is like you've got things like the New York Stock Exchange, the NASDAQ, all these different things. Within an IPO, you would usually only really ever list on one stock exchange. In crypto, there are tons of exchanges and the goal here is to be on as many of them as possible. So accessibility is much greater as well. The second big piece is regulations. ICOs are pretty much completely self-regulated. IPOs, just on a basic level, at least need to abide by KYC, know your customer laws, and this varies from stock exchange to stock exchange and country to country. The issuance stage, this is the big one. ICOs are usually super early stage, maybe before even a product is there. IPOs, like, much, much later, usually at, like, at least four years on. And, and that's like not a hard set rule, but usually at least that. And then the final piece being ownership. ICOs being a token plus access to use services, whereas an IPO is equity in the business and then ongoing dividends of profits. But Matt, aren't ICOs just scams that will be regulated? Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like what you're setting me up for here, Austin, is a tirade of tweets that are going to come into me so telling me that I'm full of crap, right? Well, right, okay. So the first thing is it, it's a Wild West out there, so be careful, kids. There are a number of legitimate projects that are being run. <sighs> kind of what we talked about in some of our previous episodes, right? It's like for every application of blockchain technology that's fantastic and amazing. There's also its evil counterpart. Now, the the other kind of the younger sister in amongst all of that is just the, the complete fake project and scam that's part of this whole family. And I have to be honest, it's very, very difficult to know whether something is a scam or not. It's It's very tough for an individual. There have been people who are like, have been technologists and big influencers in the space intimately understand blockchain technology and have succumbed to scams. It's it's tough. The best advice I've ever had is this single piece of advice, which is you should never be in a hurry to part with your cash. If you ever feel like you're rushing to get on board something that you think could be a good thing without necessarily digging deep into it, take a pause, have a deep breath. Relax, go meditate, whatever you want to do. Just don't open up your wallet and start firing out your your cryptos like Austin drunk at a Brazilian barbecue, <laughs> right? <laughs> Luckily, I did my research sober. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, the, and, and that's, 
the key piece here is doing as much research as possible. Like most, most projects have a white paper, right? Mm-hmm. You can read the white paper on Bitcoin, written forever ago. Yeah, and, the, and most of them at least launch with that. Go through a bunch of forums, speak to the founders. Like it's, the, it's very accessible. I've done this multiple times when I've been looking at projects and said, hey, do you know what? I'm just gonna drop like one of these founders a message on LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever they've like listed on their website in amongst the ICO proposals. Just be like, hey, what's what's the story with this specific thing? I don't understand. The, the response I've had is surprising. Like people are very open to talk about a lot of this stuff. And I think the other thing is to watch out for and th this is this is probably, I would say, one of the main reasons why myself and Austin started the Decrypting Crypto podcast is really scrutinize everything you read online. So when you look at, and I'm not going to name the publications, but some of the major publications within the crypto space, when I go through each of their articles in their feeds, where most people are getting their information right now, I'd say maybe one in four of them is like a sponsored article, i.e. it was written by a company and they have paid to have it placed within these major publications. They don't always make it abundantly clear that these are paid for articles. So people are like, all right, there's this cool ICO I've just read about in publication X, right? That's like where I'm getting all my news right now. It's supposed to be amazing. They say it's good. So, hey, that's good enough for me, right? That's pretty dangerous, right? Yeah. You shouldn't be even taking myself and Austin's advice. Like, yeah, both myself and Austin have cryptocurrency, but like, we we are not the spokespeople for, for that. We are not advisors from a financial point of view. And ultimately, like the, the future of the project is largely out of our hands. One big thing yeah. I yeah, one big thing I look at is a lot of the time is who are the people who are getting involved in this project? Who are the advisors? Are they also really the advisors? Can you go ping them a message and be like, hey, are you actually advising these companies or have they just put your face on a website? And just think about like, what what is it that these individuals have to lose if this is a scam and mm -hmm. start from there? There are a number of legitimate projects out there though. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's where research comes in. I mean, talking about the scam side of things, there's been a number of high profile failures and I use the word scam and I'm not, I'm actually not going to say that this particular case is a scam. It, it, I certainly don't believe it was. The, the DAO, the Decentralized Autonomous Organization, DAO, had an ICO and it made headlines after bringing in around about $150 million worth of ether from over 11,000 individuals. Two months later, there was a security flaw in the one of the smart contracts of that project, which ultimately meant that hackers stole $60 million of Ether from all the investors. These are just everyday people, right? Lots of people lost their money. This is something we're going to talk about in more detail in episode eight when we go into Ethereum, because... Actually, an interesting thing that happened is the Ethereum team made a huge decision to actually roll back time on the Ethereum blockchain and forked the entire blockchain, which created Ether Classic and Ethereum as two separately running coins. Huge dispute around this, but just to not get into that too much, one of the reasons that, that happened off the back of this as well for the, the DAO to eventually shut down was that 
the SEC actually ruled that the DAO was a security and had to abide by US federal law. The whole project got shut down. It was, I, I think, a very disappointing thing to happen within the cryptocurrency space at the time, and it was very harmful for gaining people's trust. So that's like just a one of many examples where people have lost money in ICOs. A lot of people have seen, ah, oh, my friend invested in this ICO and they got a thousand percent increase within three months. Sure, that might happen, but it also might not, right? Absolutely. Be careful and never invest an amount that you're not willing to lose. Very easy to happen. Also, never hand over your private keys for an ICO. That's something if you got people requesting that, don't do it. Don't click links from emails. Oh man, uh, there Slack are- Slack as well, right? Slack. Beyond the scam of the promise of the product, there are much more direct and deliberate scams that can be tied to these things as well. 100%. And I, I think the, the key part there is when you invest in an ICO, what will often happen is they will give a public address, so the public address, not private, that you send your crypto to, to invest. What that does is when you send your crypto to it, you create a smart contract so that when you send that coin, so let's say it's Ether that you send to them or Bitcoin, a smart contract is triggered so that as soon as they receive your crypto, they will issue your tokens directly to you. So you should never be giving them your private keys. It's always you sending crypto to a public address. There have actually been cases where people's websites have been hacked during an ICO, the public address has been changed. Please, for the love of God, double, triple, quadruple check everything because if there is something that hackers and spammers and people doing phishing attacks are jumping on, it's these ICOs. The last thing I would say here is for anyone that watches Game of Thrones, similar to winter, regulation is coming. <laughs> and I do, as I've said many times before, I think that is a good thing. I think that investors do need to be protected in this stage, but hopefully by now you'll at least be armed with understanding what you're getting yourself into. We haven't scared you too much at this stage. <laughs> While it was mostly an episode chock full of tales of fear it's true you have you do have to be very calculated and careful when when you enter into this realm because this is the area that has been exploited the most for scams so some things that you can walk away with an ico or an initial coin offering is going to be used to raise capital in exchange for the issuance of tokens and investors are going to use pre-existing cryptocurrency that they have to buy tokens in an ico <laughs> It's similar to buying shares in a company, but without the actual equity. So you're getting a currency that that project uses, but you're not getting a actual part of that project. Whereas with a company, you would get an actual part of that company. This is what makes it fairly different from an IPO. Uh, you're not getting that equity. You're just getting the coin. There are also very strict requirements to file an IPO, and there are virtually no requirements to file an ICO. Well, if you want to call it filing, <laughs> uh, while there will be requirements eventually making their way down the line. ICOs aren't all scams, but there are a lot of scams that can be related to them, ranging from projects that will never launch. So thinking back to that sort of Kickstarter parallel 
to very deliberate scams like hacked websites, hacked projects, email links that you can't trust. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Be vigilant is the, the takeaway here. So hopefully you've got a good amount of information. Next episode, we're going to be digging into a bit more on the security side, which is that falls in nicely to the, the vigilant side of things. But we're going to be showing you how to transfer and safely store all of that cryptocurrency wealth that you've accumulated during the time of listening to the Decrypting Crypto podcast. Thanks for listening. If you loved this episode and want to show both myself and Austin your appreciation, we'd love it if you could spend some of your time adding a quick review on the iTunes store or your favorite podcasting platform. You can also check out and visit us at thecoinoffering.com. Follow us on Twitter at thecoinoffering. And you know what? You want to just shoot us a quick email, chat to us, make suggestions, tell us how terrible we are. Send us an email at podcast at thecoinoffering.com. Thanks, and hope you enjoy the next episode. Here's a sneak peek at our next episode. If you are storing these cryptos and managing, you, you become the bank. You need to, I was just about to say act like a bank would, but then I realized that banks don't <laughs> always do the best They're not job always here. prudent. <laughs> act how you would want a bank to act. The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.